Hello, friends, and welcome back. This is episode 43 of No Putts Given. Today, we're addressing the Golf Channel's big move and some big cutbacks, and we're also going to take a look at the looks of this year's putters in the putter test. So here we go. Let's get it. No Putts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. We're going to take a look at the looks. We're going to take a look at the looks. Hey, everybody. Adam, Tony, Harry, Chris, welcome back. Good to see you guys. Morning. Good morning. Hello. Very much morning for Chris, right? Chris gets up early. I do. I, you know, we got a dog gets up early. We got kids get up early. It's like middle of the workday already. Yeah, man. <laughs> How's everybody been this week? Good? Yeah. Yeah. Been great. My uh, Sloney is pegging me at five in the morning every morning to get up and go surfing. And uh, she's Ooh. learned a new sport. So um, she's ready to rock and roll. So this weekend we're going to the Outer Banks and RVing. And uh, we're going to pull our cool. RV right up on the beach and me and Sloney are going to surf. So that's Good what for you. Doing. That'd be cool. That sounds fun. Yeah. Tony, um, you have a little less facial hair today. Yeah. You know, there, there comes a point where you just acknowledge... <laughs> What everyone knows to be true and that that the wife was right. That a mustache is a ridiculous look and you know what? It's, it's fun for a little while. Like every now and again you realize you, you have to exist in a society and maybe you don't want to be that guy. So Yeah, he sounds a lot <laughs> different this week about that mustache. Um, yeah. yeah. I just say that and a couple of calls from social services. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, at least there's that. Uh, guys, like I said at the top of the show, a lot of things to cover today. Um, first and foremost, the Golf Channel making some big changes. They're actually moving out of their happy home, their hub in sunny Florida, um, and condensing and existing in Connecticut from this point forward. What are our thoughts of the Golf Channel moving out of Golf Central? First thing I think is when I think golf is Connecticut, so it's <laughs> definitely... <laughs> My first Is, thought. Isn't there a tournament there right now, though? I mean. <laughs> there is. And it was interesting. I saw a tweet from somebody that said, uh, good luck to the golfers that are going to play in Connecticut, you know, because you have to quarantine for 14 days to get to play in the tournament right now since they've made some new rules in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. Yeah, I'm guessing they'll find a way to make that not apply to the tour. It's, yeah. There is selective application of rules is, is America at its finest, I think, so. Well, with the move also comes a lot of significant cutbacks for the Golf Channel. And I think a lot of it is probably behind the scenes, maybe less of the people that you see chatting with you on TV on a Saturday or Sunday as you're watching the PGA Tour. But are we seeing, I mean, for example, we as My Golf Spy use the internet as a medium to express the information that we want to to our audience. How how often are you guys using television to get your golf over the internet? Hmm. Hmm. You see what I'm asking? No. 100%, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking kind of around how do people consume golf content and golf information and, and live golf mm -hmm. coverage, I think part of that we know is changing, right? Where people are consuming, right. you know, it's thinking about this, looking at some NFL stadiums and things and what became clear to me is as NFL stadiums, they're trying to take the stadium experience and make it feel more like your living room. At the same time, people are taking their living rooms and trying to make it feel more like the stadium, 
right? And so it's kind of like this back and forth a little bit. And and I think what we've seen a little bit during the last couple of tournaments is people like some of the changes with actually with fewer fans and fewer people involved, just hearing golfers play golf and discuss with caddies what they're trying to pull off in the shots, et cetera. So I, I don't know necessarily how that changes how and where and when people consume the information, but it definitely uh, maybe changes the the output. And I don't know if people are kind of over some of the reality TV, big break kind of stuff. I know it's one of Tony's favorites, so maybe he'll tell us you know, kind of what that, but like, do people want to just watch golf, you know? Well, the fact that big break is brought up and it's something their programming has not been the best over the years, you know? And the reason their programming has kind of been anything is because it was the only thing for golf. Um, but big break was how many years ago and we're still talking about it, right? Yeah. It's the, the, the drop off from, you know, golf central and, you know, morning drive, kind of the, the wheelhouse stuff and, and just showing the tournaments to what I guess you, you, qualify as like the original programming type stuff and they've they've certainly done a lot less of that and and some of what they've done you know shot makers is, is the the one that it just has to has to spring to mind hasn't necessarily been been a massive success but it, it costs a lot of money to produce those type of things and you know I, I think what golf channel probably figured to be true is that the, the actual revenue stream is in, in showing tour golf and everything else is ancillary. Well, there's two things, right? So you have revenue and you have expenses, right? And expenses are the rights to the PGA Tour now are $700 million per year, you know? And you've got to be able to pay for those expenses somehow. And, um, you know, so there's both sides. And it's interesting because... Uh, it makes sense from both sides a little bit. I can understand the justification where you go, well, look, why well, have two buildings when we already have the infrastructure and the crew in Connecticut, right? Why would we have both? And then you go, yeah, but you already have the infrastructure for golf in Florida where all that action happens, right? So you can understand both. So when you really look at this and you look at it from a revenue standpoint, an income standpoint, an expenses standpoint, you go, what was this about? This was about cutting costs, you know, plain and simple. Yeah, and if you look, kind of think about like what is what is the real benefit of being in Florida, right? There, there's kind of this this association with Florida, just sort of that's been built over over the years, I would say, but you know, ultimately there's, there's not a huge percentage of, of PGA tour events that happens in Florida. What you do have is, is PGA tour player density, right? You have a lot of access right. to tour professionals in that area. But as we're seeing with things like golf pass and, and sort of these other subscription services where, you know, tour players to a degree are, are being segmented by, by networks, if you will, right? You have sort of the Rory network and the Tiger network, and there's less of that, hey, we're going to kind of centralize it and we're going to talk to everybody and work with these tour players directly for the masses. You're kind of seeing less and less of that. And like you said, there's redundancy with buildings and, and personnel, you know, content production, things like that. So I think the cuts were inevitable. But yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like yeah. it's one more blow to the golf industry and the golf media industry. And I mean, you know, good people losing their jobs and, and 
really probably losing jobs they love for the most part. And that just sucks. Yeah, but they saw this was coming. You know, we were on the driver versus driver show years ago. And, you know, we were walking around talking to executives and they basically said, look around now because this isn't going to look like this uh, once this PGA Tour rights deal happens. A lot of things are going to change. Um, so if people were open and willing to discuss that with somebody that was just on a random show of theirs, I'm pretty confident that they knew what was getting ready to go down. And that was a couple of years ago. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's still right. Yeah, we think this is going to happen. It's probably going to happen. It's likely going to happen. It's, it's all theoretical. And and dealing with theoretical stuff is always a lot easier than than when it happens. Yeah, but Tony, this well, is no different. I mean, the the world is changing, right? I mean, fuck yeah. You either adapt <laughs> or you know get on or get off, right? And the people that work there knew it. Everyone has seen it. But really, it's when those scales tip, right? And the internet has been around for a long time now, but it hasn't really been that fifty one percent of where people go to get whatever you want to call this, their media for golf. And the scales are tipping. And once they tip, that old thing is gone, meaning like magazines, you know, people started spending less money in advertising for magazines. People started cutting cable. All, dude, this this is no different than you take oil and you take like solar and wind, you know? And these oil companies, obviously their days are numbered. But they're not going to just give up, throw their hands up and go, man, we're done. You know, we're just going to give all this money away. They're going to fight tooth and nail. And so were these old style media companies. But hopefully they knew what the future was coming and prepared for that. They did. They did. And started to take ownership of that in the new vessels of where that information is going to be digested and kind of knew that, hey, we're going to cut this when it comes time and and time is now, you know. But, but I, what I would say, though, if you look at, and again, we we haven't seen a a full and comprehensive list of everybody who is laid off and what their roles are. But but certainly, what I've seen, you know, some of these cuts are in the digital space, right? They're they're in the area that we see as sort of the the now and the future of of how content will be consumed. But again, there is. You know, I would assume that the thinking is NBC's like, hey, we have more experience doing this. We have greater horsepower for this. We already have people to do this. And so, you know, as with any merger acquisition and, and you know, things like that, it, it ultimately comes down to saving money by removing what you see as redundancy. I think Miranda has been a part of this and has seen kind of what's going on. Um, yeah. What do you think, Miranda? I think if you are in the broadcast live television industry, you are waiting for that scale to tip. And sometimes you might even think that you don't even have to wait for it to go to 51%. You are waiting for the ax to fall. You are waiting for the day that you get the pink slip on your desk that you are no longer needed because your job has been streamlined. I've seen it countless times in the industry. And honestly, my first start in the industry, I was floored because you know I came out of college gung-ho. I'm going to have somebody to run my camera and somebody to edit all of my stuff. Nope. I went to a small town in Alabama, had to start there. I was the photographer. I was the editor. I was the writer. I was the reporter. I was the anchor. And then I also drove the truck to get there. So television <laughs> stations are seeing that they can get these young people, train them to do everything. And eventually these young people are going to move forward. And the people that have been there for 30 some years are still going to retire, uh, require a photographer. They're still going to require an editor. And 
what they're called now is they're called multimedia journalists. And so if you can get one person to do everything. It's a fancy name for we're going to pay you a lot less to do a shit ton more work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. And like I made pennies and did it all. I learned a lot. So I would never replace that. The same thing's happening in golf media right now. We're seeing yeah. it, you know, right. where they're hiring younger people. Well, and the consumption is different as well. That's why I asked you at, at the top of the show, do you get your golf from watching on Saturdays and Sundays or are you scrolling Twitter? Are you scrolling Instagram? Are you looking at various news articles? And more than likely... And let me give you a specific example of that. Like, let's take you, Miranda, that was straight out of college that got paid $20,000 a year to do everything, right? And not a penny more. (laughs) Versus the people that have, you know, worked their way up, right? And Mm -hmm. now they're making, let's say, $150,000 at this golf media company. They're being asked to tweet. I'll never forget this. They're like, all right, you got to tweet like four times a day. And they're going- Four tweets um, per day. Four tweets per day. And we know who these people are. And they're, you know, they're the people that are established in the golf media space. Mm-hmm. And they look at that and you look at those tweets and they look like four forced tweets, right? I was a part of that. I, I mean, there when I'm working, yeah, we started getting social media requirements that you had to post a certain amount to social media every day as a part of your salaried job. Yeah, but my question is, would you rather pay twenty thousand or one hundred and fifty thousand? Exactly. And the person that's getting paid one hundred and fifty thousand, while they have a treasure trove of knowledge, they don't now know how to spread that to the people that are digesting it anymore. And then mm-hmm. there's that's a tough battle. And you've seen some of these smarter golf media companies hire these younger people that are really good on Twitter and Instagram and they're moving the needle, you know? So yep. you can do it with a, you know, you're seeing cuts like this not hurt as bad as you would have thought they would have hurt. No, but the, I mean, the human cost, though, is just it's crap. Yeah, it's just like. Well, what are you going to do, Tony? You, you always say that when people know, lose their jobs and I get it, but. You're going to just keep paying all these people and not being able to afford it? It's a tough industry from beginning to end. The, the question I ask myself and, you know, how, mu- how much profit is enough profit, right? What, what's the fine line between, hey, we're, we're profitable and successful and, and we're greedy at the expense of, of the people who work for us? Here's the inside scoop that I will give you from the broadcast in- industry as a whole and in general. Based on my experience, you're not a person. You are a paycheck. You're a number on an expense sheet. And that that's my experience. Other people will probably tell you otherwise. Yes, and guess right. what? If you don't want to do what they're telling you you have to do, they're going to tell you to your face. They'll find somebody else. That I had six blondes lined up behind me waiting to take my job as soon as I said, listen, the Patriots, you know, I've outgrown them a little bit. It's time to move on. And let me tell you, the Patriots did it the old school way. I had photographers. I had editors. I had a lighting person. And they paid out of the ass for it. And they didn't have to because people were going to consume that web content anyway. But they felt a loyalty, Tony, to the older photogs that they had been using for 20 years, the lighting people and the editors they had six editors they could have done that work with two but at some point that's going to change at the patriots too yep it already it it started yeah it might take longer Mm -hmm. it's just going to change it's going to change across the board because now just think about it when we went this is a probably a bad example but it is one for us where we used to buy all this photography equipment to go to the pga show right and then one year we looked at each other and we went dude use your phone use your phone yeah yeah and that's happening at levels like small 
websites like we were 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And that's happening up the chain, down the chain, you know, laterally everywhere. And everyone can make the decision to make the cut when they want. Like the Patriots can make it later and mm -hmm. NBC can make it now, but it's going to start happening across the board. And let me tell you, I, I could be wrong here. Throughout the coronavirus, we're seeing people work from home and using less tools to do the same job. I think yep. that this is going to change everything as well. Can a reporter report with a selfie stick and people are still going to consume it and take their words seriously? Yes. Do they need a lighting person? Yep. I would have never thought that you could report on a PGA Tour event sitting there watching the mm -hmm. event on your TV five years ago, and everyone does it now. So yep. that's my question is, what's the upside then? Like the downsides are pretty clear, right? So there's a human loss. There's mm -hmm. frustration around that. There's reorgan you know, reorganization. There's a transition that, you know, whether we've seen it coming or not, that takes place. And there's always unforeseen consequences, right? Stuff that comes up that you don't anticipate that you have to deal with throughout the process. So what's the upside then? Does this create a new media platform for NBC? Do they even have the capacity or ability to transition to a new media in a way that's meaningful for viewers? Or is the only real benefit an economic one? No, I mean, I think change in general is always, there's always an opportunity in change, right? And people are resistant to change, but oftentimes the best best things that happen in people's lives, whether it be personally or through your you know job, happen from points where you're kind of resistant to it, but force yourself to do it, you know? And that doesn't mean that change will be positive in this example, but I do think it is an opportunity for good things to happen. No different than you, Chris, saying that the coverage without fans, you go, man, there's some cool stuff happening, right? All right, what can we do with that? You know, mm -hmm. um, it leads to opportunities and whether you take advantage of them or not is up to you. Well, and there's, there's kind of been a, a change Right. And, and I think it was probably happening before COVID kind of took over. But, you know, once upon a time, right, there were, where there's this idea of every broadcast presentation, whatever it has to whatever it happens to be, has to have like it needs to look professional. Right. It has to have that mm -hmm. high polish look professional thing. But as as Twitter and Instagram and now TikTok have taken off. Right. There's an authenticity that is being built from from being raw that that doesn't have that polish on it and when it when it comes to like a golf broadcast like chris was talking about the polish comes from the digital effects now and everything they're doing with shot tracer and the graphics but the the actual presentation the the people talking that that needs to feel real in a way that it necessarily hasn't it's my tub spy versus my golf spy you know what i'm saying it's like authenticity <laughs> that's, that's a <laughs> I feel like authenticity <laughs> requires a shirt. <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't wear a shirt on the course. I would. I would absolutely. You stop talking. I want to hear from Miranda. <laughs> um, I do think that there's some truth to what you're saying, that there is something authentic about feeling like you're on the course with the golfers or, you know, any other sport, like you're in the batter's box or you're in the dugout. In Miranda's living room. <laughs> in Miranda's living room. Yes. Um, but what I hope we don't lose is that there is so much value in the old school way that journalists and broadcast industries did their work. And there's so much to be learned from the way that from the journalistic process that I think we're somewhat losing because we just want to get it up there fast. We want to get it up there first and we're losing the polish. So what I hope we don't lose is the industry professionals that we have so much to learn from. Um, I think that's so important. Like I, 
I'm a millennial, yes, but... Here's the thing about that is, who's the demographic of the Golf Channel? Is it an older generation or a younger generation? Like, It's always going to be older, Harry, but that being said, younger people start getting older, right? Yeah, I'm going to be the older generation. And yeah. the younger people are different. Like, Tony is yeah. becoming the older demographic, you know? <laughs> Right before our eyes. <laughs> yes, but is this the young? How long will it? How long will it take for the younger generation to say, "I, I, I like the people who are raw, the Instagram people. I like that kind of stuff." It might be. That's next- why these changes are able to happen right now. Yeah. So really, right now, I don't know if it will change as much, but in progression-wise, it will definitely change for the younger one, like you said, getting older, and then you're going to see a little bit more raw on there, in my opinion. Well, I guess Miranda, that's a question for you too. Is like when you talk about the 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 old school approach, mm-hmm. right? And we talk about that. So, like, mm-hmm. what are the things that don't go out of style? Like, my first response to you said that was storytelling. Yep, and, stories. You know, I don't. You know, if it's a John Barba or if it's somebody else, people that are great storytellers in my mind always have a role. Now, maybe that's not during a broadcast. Right. Maybe the medium right. for that looks different. Maybe it's not a 3000 word article that that people have to read and consume or maybe it is. Right. And and it's like, how do we, you know, Dan Jenkins, Dan Jenkins is another one. Or it's like, I think he's a phenomenal storyteller. There are people in that old media space, if you will, you know, a trained journalist, whatever that means, that are excellent storytellers. And I, mm-hmm. I personally would be really bummed if we lost the ability to create an oral and written history of what's happened in the game and tell other people about that. I couldn't agree with you more Uh, for a relevant example and just use myself. I was looking at taking another broadcast job in which I would be an MMJ, but it was for a bigger outlet. And I just couldn't reconcile with the idea that I was going to have to be doing everything again because I know the quality of the product that I put out diminishes because I then have to think about a thousand different things and doing a thousand different jobs. So I do worry about that because personally, yeah, I wasn't able to do everything in 24 hours in a day because I didn't have any help. And so, yeah, I I think what suffers is the product, the story, the angles that you take and the time that you spend getting to know your subjects because you can't sit and, you know, do an interview and then talk with them or spend time talking with your subject before. I think that's what you end up losing. And so, yeah, that's why I say, I hope we don't, go so far into the future that all we're doing is, you know, broadcasting what would be a Twitter headline and that we lose some of the magic in what is sports journalism. We're unfortunately moving in that direction really quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, as a millennial, am am advocating for somewhat of, you know, appreciating and moving the past and using it as a part of the future because I think it would be such a loss. I really do. I think Chris said it. Well, when he said, you know, basically storytelling never goes out of style. And Mm -hmm. in a perfect world, you mesh these really good storytellers with the modern way that people digest information. Mm -hmm. Um, And that cream of that crop will always rise to the top, whether it's TikTok Mm -hmm. or Twitter or articles. The people that, I mean, people, you know, Tony's laughing, um, but there are better TikTokers, I guess, than other TikTokers, right? Absolutely. And those are the ones able to tell a story in that smaller time frame. And there's going to be a transition with all these new platforms. There's always going to be a million people that rush to them. And then there's going to be the best ones that rise to the top. And the, and the best ones that rise to the top are the ones that work hard, know how to tell stories, 
and uh, have something that people want to consume, you know? Well, that's the 30 for 30 stuff on ESPN, right? If you watch The Last Dance this year, which I was captivated by, loved every uh, minute of it. It's, you know, it's 10 hours or so, right? Um, Broken up into hour-long episodes. Um, That's storytelling, right? At Mm -hmm. its finest. And so I, I really do think it doesn't go out of style. I think the medium platform length projection and and how they go about it is what has to change to i mean i don't know that ken burns style doc- documentaries are going to be what the future is made of yeah. right even though i would look at him and go this is riveting stuff man and tony's gonna have to wake him up in half an hour right but i love that type of information i get not everybody does i'm with you chris so what do we think is the future of golf on television Flying around the course on the little <laughs> drones. Uh, on whatever the uh, what's those ones that came out for Christmas? You would you the hoverboards? Yeah, is that the one you stand on? They're going to do that and go around with a selfie. Marty stick. McFly is going to enter. <laughs> yeah, the there you go. PJ so I, I think it's going to be a younger generation that's going to come up and and be the raw, authentic kind of journalistic view. I think the old school, unfortunately, is going to die out unless the old school journalists can actually adapt. Um, and in, in, and mesh their good qualities that they've learned throughout the hard work and years that they've put into it to the TikToks of the world, you know? Like, I don't know if they can ever be relevant in that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, like, what do you think is going to happen with the Golf Channel? I don't think we're going to see that different of a coverage just because they don't have a hub in Orlando anymore. My guess is most of it's going to be internal. As an audience, we're not going to notice it that much unless there are different faces that we're seeing present the events to us. But other than that, they're going to travel, they're going to bring their equipment, and they only have one hub now. I don't think we're going to see that much of a difference. Yeah, probably won't see some washed-up tour pros jump into morning drive every once in a while. Like, hey, here's a new putting thing or something like you know, and I, I don't think you're going to see that much difference, right? I mean, I wonder how many people prior to this knew that the Golf Channel was even in Orlando, right? Other than people in the golf industry. I think they mention it pretty frequently. They mention it live from our Orlando studio. Yeah, except, yeah. But like, I wonder how many people just assumed, you know, that they were in L.A. or New York or, or one of these more major media market hubs, right? But Miranda asked a great question in the beginning. I don't think we ever really answered. And that is, how much of us really watched? golf on actual tv anymore do you spend four plus hours on a saturday or sunday watching or do you go to social media and see the highlights my guess is thursday through saturday people watch twitter for their Mm -hmm. golf you know news and then on sunday might turn it on that's funny i use twitter has kind of become my reminder to turn on the television and watch golf but it's It's one of those things. If I'm watching golf, I'm watching it on a television, right? There's a I don't I don't have a 70 inch monitor on my on my computer, but I've got a 60 inch TV in my office, 70 inch TV downstairs, surround sound. It's it's still better on TV. Plus, I can you know it's it's a lot easier to fall asleep on the couch in front of the TV than in my (laughs) office chair if I'm having one of those afternoons. So I'm still a guy who who consumes the actual product on a television. I don't foresee that changing. Maybe there's another way to ask this question. How many of you have cable or use exclusively streaming services? I do not have cable. When you you say cable, you mean like... like Do you have Verizon? Do you have Comcast? Do you have like a plugged in cable thing? I have the YouTube TVs. Okay. And is the Golf Channel one of your selected channels? Yeah, yeah. I moved it up the list. 
I think that's part of the problem too, is people are cutting cable. And so they've got the direct TV or the YouTube TVs or Hulu TVs, and they've got 30 channels to pick from. I don't know if the golf channel is always on there. So I think that's another cost or revenue gainer that they're losing. That's happening across the board. If you want to take a good nap, it's a great channel to add. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's a great question is how, how people consume it moving mm -hmm. forward and, and how representative are we of the demographic and population? Like I know you think about that target demographic, right? That people get older. So I think about like my dad and yeah, he's, he's apt to have a basic cable package or whatever. So he can get the history channel, golf channel, uh, you know, daily news or whatever. And that's it. And as soon as he figures out, he can do that on the YouTube's TVs or, or whatever. He'll go, Oh my gosh, I can save $68 a month and just have quality internet and stream whatever I want to. But there's a hump for him to get over there. I, I think you're going to see more and more cord cutting or cable cutting and, and more and more streaming services. And, and, you know, I mean, eventually Netflix did the blockbuster what it did. I think we're kind of on the precipice of another similar transition. And that'll be kind of the next step, right? Is And you're seeing a little bit already with some of those subscription services I talked about. about but are we getting to the point where the the amount of golf that one watches will be dictated by what you're literally willing to pay for in addition mm -hmm. to your YouTube or your Hulu or whatever else you have. And I like, you know, I'm not I'm not paying for a PGA tour subscription for anything. Just I'm not doing it. I'm not paying for golf pass right. and and all of that stuff. I just I don't care that much about the day to day goings on in professional golf. Just just show me a tournament. And when I mean a tournament, I mean a major because even most of the other stuff Unless, again, I, I tried to watch a couple weeks ago when this whole Bryson is bombing the ball thing kind of took over. And I, I watched for 25 minutes, no Bryson tee shot, so I was out. So, you know, I'm, I'm already a guy who's in a limited window. And the more, you know, those opportunities get compressed in, in terms of what's freely consumable, and it's the, the less I suspect I'm going to end up watching. Would you, would you pay for a subscription if they offered like a slight different view. For instance, behind the closed doors, the locker room kind of chat, the go into the clubhouse and look in the locker room and see what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Like so no guess, one will ever get to see that. You know what I would say there is if it's, if it's coming from sort of the, an old school or sort of modernized old school where it's, it's still kind of the, the same old thing pre presented in a new medium Probably not because a lot of that stuff there, it just doesn't feel authentic. If I want a kind of behind the scenes look or the stuff that's not, you know, out there in, in you know, NBC for public consumption, I'm, I'm going to go listen to No Laying Up or something like that. Or, you know, actually where you're going to go is you're going to go to their Instagram stories. You're going to yeah. go follow these individual people on their own social media platforms. That's where you get the best behind the scenes nowadays. Yeah, Tony makes a great point. Like, what is really truly behind the scenes, right? Is it going to be fluff pieces that are posed as behind the scenes or is it going to really be kind of behind the scenes? Because they're still risk adverse to losing advertisers or watchers because you never know what's going to be said or, right. um, and that's a big risk for them. And from a journalistic standpoint, if you're watching these documentaries where you're in these athletes' houses and you're getting to know them and their, their family and things like that, I do think you have to pay attention to the old school journalistic way because there's a big trust involved in that. And so nowadays, I think if we just shove our phones in everybody's faces, 
there isn't going to be that back and forth, the give and take of a journalist covering your life and you allowing them in because it's a surface level thing. I don't want to see it all be surface level. So I think that's a risk that you take by making everything just, you know, straight to your phone. There is no trust that you gain yeah, I mean, in the process. They'd have to get somebody to agree to do like a reality show, right? Where the person right. agrees to be exposed in that way. But exposing everyone on tour that way, I don't think they're down for that. You know? And I, I don't even know that – that I mean, I think viewers say that we may want that stuff because we like it theoretically. But I think, you know, we saw this just with uh, the lack of fans and having the boom mics out there and whatever. It's like, oh, you know, I love being able to hear the caddy conversations. I love being able to hear the player talk through the shot. And then, you know, whether it's Harold Varner III or anybody else is like, oh, f you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's kids in the room. I don't want that anymore. Oh, what happened? Right. And it's like, that's when I start watching that. That's when Tony yeah. freaks up. But I had the same conversation guy that I knew playing in the NFL said, you know, you don't really want to see what we have to do in the locker room to get ready to play on a Sunday. You just want your entertainment. You want your Sunday football. You don't want to see the number of Tordal shots that we're taking or the things that we're doing behind the scenes. You just want to consume your product and be okay with it. So my question would be like, do we really want to see behind the scenes what these people are like? Do we? Do you really want to know what Bubba Watson's <laughs> like? And and you're okay with that? Yeah, because then everyone, a, will, yeah. everyone will be exposed. Like I, that, that's my thing is I'm a younger golfer and I would love to find out what the hell they do when they get rained out or like they just sit around on the Twitter. All right, what do they what do they order? Are they just a fat ass and they order like burgers and burgers and burgers? Or what's wrong with that? Like it relates to me. <laughs> like I want to I want to relate to the professional tour, you know. So I think it's more of a relatability. I think people want to keep their. I think there's a lot of people that just want to keep their version of who these people are, what they look like, and. I totally, I disagree, man. I think that would be must-see TV, dude. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say, the numbers, at least in football, when I was working in football, the num the things that did the best were anything like in the locker room or sound effects where they mic them up and you can hear the crashes of the tackles. And the and only reason that's not more highlight highlighted more is because the players don't actually want you to see that. Yep. Right. So I guess that's my question is it, it's great in theory until and, and if you hear something that's fun inside baseball kind of stuff. Great. What happens when that player that you really like or your kid really likes and you go behind the scenes and you find out something about them that isn't so good? Is that still something that you're excited about? Well, what's 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 the options? No one watching anymore. Or, or the people coming to you and go, hey, no one's watching this shit. We got to step up our game Let's... and we got to let people in to what the hell this sport is really about and see if we can grab some eyeballs, you know? But that, that's yeah. typically how you end up with contrived authenticity. Right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna create authenticity, and we're gonna we're gonna schedule our, our authenticity, and we're gonna. I didn't say gonna... to fabricate it. I said to make it actually be authentic. Right, it should be, but we know that that how things actually work are very sort of all right. You know. Well, gonna... I watched I watched a documentary um, of it was the Patriots, and they were all mic'd up, and they forgot that the mics were on. And they, they, you can hear the in plays like when you're in the huddle. All right, we're gonna do this, this, and this. And that to me, I'm not a football fan, but I but kind see, of see that sound effects, and that's what I'm saying. They get the highest numbers because you're not a football fan, but you still found that and you watched they it. They get the highest numbers because back to Tony's point, that is real authenticity, right? And that's where these old school media models are just looking more stark when you watch them nowadays. When you 
turn on the TV and golf, it looks so produced and you go, man, nowadays, especially during this pandemic, when you see everybody on these shows like we have, and they're just on web, like this shitty webcam that we have in front of us, <laughs> no one cares. And Except it's, for Harry. <laughs> it's, yeah. And that is becoming the expectation, right? Like just be real. And now when you go back and see something really highly polished, you go, ah, it smells funny. Yeah. It, smells it smells funny, funny. man. Yeah. So now mm. is the opportunity to actually become more authentic. And if they don't, I think they're risking losing people for for good, you know? I think this could be a really moneymaker. It could be. If you had like an actual like PG-13, you know, channel Ooh. or whatever. Well, yeah, exactly. And say, hey, you know, here's what you're going to get, right? Well, let's say this. Let's say you were given two opportunities. For nine bucks a month, you can subscribe to Golf Channel, right? For 19 a month, you can subscribe to the PG-13 version, right? And look, there's going to be some F-bombs. There's going to be some shit said, you're, you, know, you know, earmuffs, kids. But I'd be willing to pay for that $19.99. You might see the sex swing in the basement. <laughs> well, I mean, here's a good example. HBO, and I keep going back to football because that's just my reference point, but Hard Knocks on HBO. Right. People wait yeah. for that all yeah. year long. They Bingo. put their kids to bed because they know there are going to be F-drums they dropped. They know that these guys are going to bop. I'm going to bop some F bombs. <laughs> um, they know that these guys are going to be themselves. But again, that's part of like, they know the players know hard knocks is coming to town. They trust HBO with the product and people wait for it. But football lends itself better to that than golf right now. Golf is such a traditionalist, yeah. you know, yeah. pretentious and uptight. Yeah. And if they don't yeah. start leaning more towards that hard knocks style, a little bit. Do you think it's because they're protective of their image in golf? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you think? <laughs> well, and I think it's hard too. Like football, right? You got fifty-three guys on an, on an active roster. You got more, yeah. in the, like so. You got this big group of people all the time, right? Like I can just imagine some pairings and some groups where it's like you hear crickets, and it's like, all right, well, what do we do? Like this is mm. four hours of these people. Now, great. Maybe you don't mic them up. You don't feature them, or whatever the case is. Um, but then does it disproportionately fall on other people that are more willing to engage in that kind of stuff? And you don't have 10, 20, 30 people together at a time. You got like two to four. Well, so well, how do you do that? Just go around the room here or just ask the reader, right? Like, would you be willing to pay for a more hard knocks type coverage of golf? I don't watch golf on TV anymore, but I damn sure would if they offered something like that, right? So they've got a new watcher right here i mean yeah because i mean we can yeah. we can really see how patrick greed is <laughs> yeah. and not just hey. and not just see hey. like that's that's what i would like to find out and then the more stuff that i can get like the behind the scenes and like i want to I, I don't care but i kind of want to see them act in a in a restaurant setting or having a beer here's how far we are away from that though look at tiger woods now with discovery they have somebody right. that he basically said, this is the only person I'm going to work with. And it's so non-authentic. I mean, mm -hmm. I have zero interest in watching any of that, right? So that's where we are right now in regards to them going, hey, man, we've got this new idea for coverage. No one wants to watch that, you know? Like, be have Tiger be real, which he's not willing to do. And then you got some TV. But you also have to think about why Tiger Woods would be so protective of his image. So he's not necessarily the right person to follow. I don't. Yeah, think. but I think you put a disclaimer on the PGA Tour. I think if it's if it's going to go that way now, I think, all right, 
you have the chance to win lots of money. And it could be the LPGA Tour as well. It doesn't have to be a PGA Tour. It could be the LPGA. And you say, we are going to be filming and capturing everything that you say. And it's a disclaimer. And if you don't want to do it, you, you don't have a chance to win a million dollars every week. Like it's, it, they will soon get onto it and be like, all right, I'm just going to be me. And well, at that point, it's up to you, Harry, right? If I tell you that we're going to be covering everything and you want to, you know, wear a mask that day, basically, and not be who you are, that's your choice, right? Yeah. But we're going to tell you, we're going to film everything and we're going to have a hard knock style PG 13 version that's going to get more viewers and bring more money into golf. We need to start this. I mean, if you want to talk about a TV show that, that actually could move the needle, right? Imagine a, a 30 minute behind the scenes of the PGA show that airs Monday or Tuesday after a tournament. Like this was kind of the PGA show, like a, a, no PGA tour, excuse me. Oh God. I was like that. PGA show is a terrible idea. Excuse me. (laughs) But no, like, like immediately following a PGA tour event, you sort of have like this behind the scene recap of all these kind of cool conversations and things you may not have seen during the broadcast itself. Right. That's, Uh You know, that's potentially and that's a lot of what you see kind of with with the HBO type stuff is like, hey, you know, let's let's have this this recap that isn't just guys hitting golf balls. Well, yeah, that's that's a great idea. When the Open was in in Ireland and Shane Lowry won the Open, um, you saw him go to the pub. And got absolutely shit faced, <laughs> and I'm like, that's exactly what I would be doing too, having a pint with my, the locals, enjoying myself. Like that kind of stuff would resonate me, and I'd be like, I'm with that guy, and I'm gonna have a pint. Cheers with you. I mean, what's that group of the group of golfers, Justin Thomas and them? The what was that yeah. group called? The golf the boys. boys. The golf. Oh boys. yeah, when they had their spring break videos with yeah. And Smiley Kaufman was part of it, and they weren't even letting you in, but just for a tiny peek of what you know was going on. And right. look how popular that was, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. Well, that's that's just it. I was just jotting down names of players like that I think could gain a lot from that. Or I'm going, all right, if they said this person's on this coverage this week, like you don't want to hear Max Homa mic'd up for a week. Like, that dude's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would, I would find that Should funny. we follow Bryson to the gym and see how he's beefing up? Should we get the inside scoop on that? (laughs) How many other players are out there that you don't know or don't really, you're not really sure what their personality is that could gain from this, right? Maybe guys that are just wait, like Kevin Kisner. Are you kidding me? That would be amazing. What what you're saying is there's some probably great personalities out there that aren't being really spotlighted. um, Sure. Just because they might not be in the top 10, but probably would be really great for TV. Well, I think too, there's there's some inherent conflicts with with how golf wants to present itself, right? It's the etiquette and the traditions and, and, and proper, right. And, and long pants and collared shirts and sort of all of these things that historically have been an integral part of, of golf's public image. And then you have to reconcile with the fact that you, you have, Oh my God, you have golfers who say and you have, have golfers who do things off the course that that don't live up to that prim and proper standard. You have golfers who who fail drug tests, but we don't mention their names, right? We keep all of that stuff quiet and in-house and, and all of these things that that right. fights against the idea of authenticity and transparency that is is kind of where the world and basically every other sport have are are headed or have have already reached that uh, that point. And so until golf can can separate its modern reality from its traditions that really just 
are at this point rooted largely in fiction and denial. Uh, I don't I don't know how we go anywhere. Yeah. Well, just like you had Bubba Watson last week, if you you know saw kind of that early segment earlier in the day, I think it was on Sunday. You know, they're well back in the tournament, and basically, it was no different than. Tony and I playing around talking shit to each other and being like, hey, you know, great, you know, great flub there. Great putt. Um, God, that was, you know, really good for for a guy that swings at 100 miles an hour. Way to go. Um, you know, they're just giving each other back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, well, that sounds a lot like me with my buddies when I'm on the course. Um, it doesn't sound like, you know, khaki pants and collared shirts all the time and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think I think it'd be great. And then, and then, if we do go, if they do go with that, we're gonna we're gonna own the rights to it because we came up with it today. Yeah, what's <laughs> what's what's the name of it? What are you gonna call it? Truth or not truth? <laughs> true or true? Not, I don't know. You want to do the truth? The truth booth? Truth, truth booth. booth. There you go. Truth. Behind the scenes, truth booth. All right, so we'll we'll work on the title a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll start a <laughs> an email chain or something for ideas. <laughs> And as usual, we like to keep you updated on what's going on at the facility. So this week, we released the best mallet putters of 2020, and even we thought the results were too good to be true. The Odyssey Triple Track 2 ball destroyed the field and was the best mallet putter of 2020. It's the indisputable best performer from 10 feet and a top performer from 20. Some testers said they didn't like the triple track lines, but the numbers don't lie. They work. The runner-up, the Wilson Infinite, the L. Also our best value winner this year, it led the field from 20 feet and performed exceptionally well at 10. Some testers said the design was bulky, but at 99 bucks, it's worth more than a shot. Next up, a rookie, the Sick Flow. This one might take a second to adjust to in the looks department, but it's the results that count. Testers deemed it the most consistent role of 2020, and it performed well at all three distances. And Mizuno fans have been waiting for this one. The MCraft 3 takes the fourth spot. Testers said it was the softest feeling putter in the test and produced a consistent roll. It comes in three finishes, though testers said the white satin wasn't their favorite. Finally, rounding out the top five, the Scotty Cameron Select Fastback 1.5. Wildly popular among the testers, the Select Fastback 1.5 gained nearly half a shot from 10 feet compared to the group average, but the results from 20 feet cost it a higher ranking. We put out the mallet putter test results this week, so we just listened to a breakdown um, of all of those winners, but the overwhelming conclusion that we came back with this year was that you cannot judge a book by its cover. Well, holy shit is my, uh, <laughs> is my response when I saw it. Well, we checked the data so many times because we were thinking, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. But every time it came back exactly the same. Subjectively, it didn't do too well. Now, here, here's the, the triple thing. track. The triple track two ball. This is what I've seen from the subjective feedback and listening to people. 70% of the golfers and our testers that we, we put the triple track in their hands liked the three lines. They, they found the alignment, um, aligning up to the ball was, was um, beneficial. They did not like the colors of the lines. So there's where the issue lies, is they would have not bought that putter because of the colors of the lines. Now, the other 30% of that liked the whole combo. So let's take this year's test results and keep it in mind, and I'm going to ask a very blunt question. Do looks matter when it comes to putters? Facts, um, no. Absolutely not. 
So we've been collecting this data for, I don't know, five to seven years, I guess. And what we wanted to find out was we have all this hard data on performance, but we also ask all the subjective questions. So we wanted to find out, do looks really matter? Because we, if you poll golfers, 78% of them say that they do. That, that, that there's a correlation between looking down and liking the look of the club and the way that it performs. Yeah, so golfers think, you hear it all the time where they go, man, I've got to be able to look down at a putter and I've got to like the looks of it for it to perform good. And they go, if it doesn't, if I don't like the looks of it, I can't, I can't putt well with it. it. Yeah. Right. Mm. And that's what they say. So we, we did a study on it. Um, we have been studying it for years ongoing and the data just is clear. 78% of people think looks matter and a hundred percent of it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so this year was, as good of an example as you're going to get the odyssey triple track two ball won in a dominating way um we rarely see this type of performance of a putter win this um hands down and not only did it win in a dominant fashion but it also lost in regards to what people thought in regards to how it looked and this has been true for years so it started with the ping catch which also won um, in a dominant way years ago, and it ranked first in performance and it ranked 38th for looks. <laughs> and that trend has continued. So looks really don't matter. And, you know, if golfers are really willing to listen, they'll hear the truth. I, so I, you know, I think about this, what are the main obstacles that golfers face given that reality? Cause again, I, when I was reading the report yesterday and looking at it, I was thinking of it a lot like kale. Right. Where it's like, God, kale may rank first in nutrients and this, that, whatever, and DFL and taste, you know, like, God, texture way and texture. And it's like, it only tastes good if I can throw enough of the unhealthy stuff on it so that I can choke it down. So what is the biggest thing getting in the way of a tester going? Yes, I get this performance part, but God, I can't. You know, because we, we've said, right, there there are certain places where no matter the performance, people trip over. Maybe it's BOA shoes or it's like, hey, I cannot buy those no matter how well I know they perform. What is the biggest thing you think that gets in the way of a, of a golfer saying, yep, okay, I'll accept that and I'm going to be great with making more putts and I'll get over what it looks like? Well, I think it's all to do with ego. It's the personal preference. And if they have, oh, I've got to play the Scotty Cameron because it's one of those ones that you mm. just have to have but if it's if it's not your performing best performing club i still think they stick with it because they have a scotty cameron in the bag yeah i think there's a couple things i think what's in a name right like um definitively golfers and consumers are brandwashed to some degree so uh if they look down and see a certain name scotty cameron for whatever reason They've been trained to think that that looks really good because they've heard other people say it looks really good. Um, the first year even roll was in our test. People didn't really necessarily like the looks, right? But guess what happened the next two years? Uh, they liked the looks a little better because they started hearing other people say, oh, ah, you know, I've heard this name. Um, so I think a lot of it, like Harry said, it comes down to ego. The golfer still, in my opinion, is the smartest dumb person that I've ever met. And they're they're the one getting in the way of themselves performing better. We see it every day. We'll come in and do a driver test for somebody. And we've seen the data. They haven't. And you can go, man, I know what the best driver for Chris Nickel is. And we go, Chris, 
what driver, you know, we're going to give you one of the drivers from the driver test. Which one do you want? And they go, oh, man, I love that TaylorMade, man. That thing performed <laughs> right. so well for me. We're looking at the data going, yeah, that was dead. DFL, you know, worst driver <laughs> right. for you in the entire test. And they don't care because they've convinced themselves that that's, what sh- that's what's best for them. That's the same thing. That's the same thing with shafts. I was going to say, yeah, is it fair to say then that golfers – as from performance, it's not so much that they want the highest performing product. It's that they want the best performing product of the ones they've already selected based on what they think they like. Like, yeah. hey, I don't really want the two ball. I want, okay, here are five that I really like. What's the best performing one of those five that I think are best for me? You know, the mm-hmm. best ones are like we have this website called True Golf Fit, you know, and its entire job is just to tell you what driver performs best for you. And we'll get emails from people and they go, man this system sucks. I want my, I want my $9 back. And you reach out to them and say, yeah, we're you know, happy to give your money back. What's, what's the issue? It told me that this Wilson driver was number one for me and I don't give a shit. I'm not, I'm not going to play it. And I go, well, have you tried it? And they go, yeah, I tried it. And it was 10 yards longer than my driver. I don't give a shit. Um, it's a Wilson. It's a piece of junk. Then why do it? I don't understand why go on the website and do the whole thing. Validation. They hope they get matched to a PXG. Confirmation bias. Bingo. They're hoping for confirmation. <laughs> the other one we get though is this. Uh, this doesn't work. It it recommended the driver I was already fit for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, Grant. All right, you you didn't need to spend the nine dollars to be told to get what you already had, but you know, go shake your fitter's hand. I guess is really yeah. <laughs> say thank you. I don't Social know. distancing, of course. So, Chris, right? if I, it, would you would you do this if? With regards to the putter, if you yeah. had the top five, if you got fit into a regular, a, a firm regular flex, mm-hmm. but you're playing an X and mm-hmm. you got better numbers, would you play the regular flex if you weren't I, at my golf spy? Oh, whew. that's a <laughs> tough one because I, I mean, natively, I don't care. Uh, yeah. If I can hit better and I'm in my buddy's pocket more often because I'm playing an amateur flex, senior flex, I don't care. Right. Right, but those golf these golfers don't think that way. In a perfect world, like fitters would have every part that you get from a custom fitter, wouldn't have right. a loft on it if it was a driver or fairway wood, and it wouldn't the shaft wouldn't have a flex or a weight on it, and it would just be yeah. like this is the one that fits you. Go enjoy it because what I think what happens on the golf course when you when you head out and you've been fit into something that that maybe you don't think is quite right. Even even though it doesn't matter what the, what the fitter saw in the data and, and how well right. you hit it. If you have it in your head that this, <laughs> like the fitting was the anomaly and this isn't quite right for me. Once you hit two or three bad shots with it, which is inevitable yeah, with done. any it's piece of equipment. It's over. Man, as soon as that doubt creeps in your head, it's over. Golfers yeah. more than almost any other athlete I've ever met are looking for excuses faster than anyone, you know? So maybe we could do this, Harry. Let's do this. We could get like a My Golf Spy ego sticker. And so you go into your fitter, right? You get done with your fitting. And then if you want to throw 130X on your shafts, boom, here's your ego sticker. Put on there, put on there whatever label you want. Right. A and vanity, I know a vanity sticker. 100. A vanity sticker. I mean, my transition is so bad and so herky jerky. I'm always going to need something stiffer and heavier. So I got in, you know. Because- Do you think we could throw like a an AI version of your swing, like project it on front of your swing to look like that guy that Tony <laughs> recorded of you? So when people see you swing, it looks like his? Absolutely, man. I want a vanity sticker. We got my golf spy vanity stickers, 130X, X100. We might be on to something here. We got some X100s. 
And uh, yeah, I was playing. We had league yesterday playing with a guy. <laughs> Make your flex happened, what you want it to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And I get. I kid you not. This was great. So this guy, I had a, a money taper shaft, the black one, right? And and he's like, "Oh, what shaft is that?" I'm like, "Oh, it's this." He's like, "Oh, guy, I, I, I don't that. mean offend." I know he said, "I don't mean to offend you," but I thought it was graphite. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I see what you're saying now. This dude is like 68, right? And and I'm like, he's got oh, X1 he's honeys, like, no, right? No. He's got man, that guy's X1 honey and and living it. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking my golf spy vanity stickers. We'll send them out. You you put that label on there. You tell me you play whatever you want. So I'm gonna be playing some 85 gram graphite shafts here soon, and I'm gonna be putting dynamic old X1 honey hard step. Man, this show has produced an umbrella, an umbrella with gutters, uh, <laughs> vanity stickers. I think a you know a show, a new TV show, hard not new TV show. Yeah. We're moving the needle. <laughs> so far, we've come up with two things nobody will buy and one thing nobody's going to watch. <laughs> but it could be instead of hard knocks, like hard step knocks. Ooh, like a little golf thing. Hard in step, there. Like soft step, hard step. I don't know. Well, here here's what the data says. <laughs> Yeah, we see it. We see this in the in the test data that we just did. Is like Adam said, the subjective feedback wasn't great when it comes to the colors of the alignment lines. Um, but it was it, it destroyed everyone in the field. Yeah, and I mean, here's what the data says: the top five putters over time in my golf spot testing average, obviously top five, and in right. looks they average thirty one point eight. And that's so, that's typically out of a field of thirty five to forty. <laughs> Yeah, so the putters that perform in the top often finish at the bottom for looks, right? And that's year over year over year, which more than anything just says, if you are in the market for a putter right now and a mallet is something you're interested in, if you don't try that triple tack track mallet from Odyssey, the two ball. Well, they liked, they liked the alignment lines. They liked the two balls. They just didn't like the colors of the lines, the, the gotcha. colors were the ones that were distracting. Well, what's interesting about that, we were talking before the show, is the purpose behind that is that visual acuity aspect, right? Mm -hmm. And what is that called, Chris? The vernier acuity. Yeah, the vernier like, acuity, yeah. right? And um, there's something that talks to your brain, and it works. And we've seen it with other putters, whether it's MLA or some other things. Um, Adele, I think you said Chris has some things going on. Yeah, that's kind of their whole platform, right, is around visualization of stuff. And, and kind of what it made me think was, you know, back to the article, you know, from this week, looking at Cobra and just some changes, you know, making in a manufacturing sense. It's really, where, where's the next horizon? Where's the next opportunity to really help golfers play golf better? And, and I have to think some of it's in the ability to really custom fit an individual within that own individual space and not just that, you know, I'm similar to somebody else and therefore we're going to have similar outcomes. Chris Flex. That's what we're headed Chris to. Flex. Chris Flex. Chris We're headed to Chris Flex shafts. And, but like talking the Adele putter fitting stuff, like it's really based around how you perceive different lines and everybody perceives them differently. Color, shapes, sizes, etc. They do different things with your eyes and how you line up a putt. And so it made me think, hmm. Tony, what was the, what were those stickers that came out probably like seven eight years ago that used to Are be able to put on tailor made the ones? Oh yeah yeah no I uh, I actually if I can run and dig them out I actually have them here but they were like different alignment stickers that you you placed on the crown of your driver that was supposed to yeah. not only influence how you set up but ultimately help you sort of deliver 
the club back to that neutral ideal location. Let me you keep talking, I'll go find him. <laughs> Is that USGA legal? I can't remember, but let's say you're a big slicer and they put a sticker on there that is kind of shaped like a, like a draw bias sticker would be, you know, and how would that affect your brain? And they found out that people didn't slice it as much, you know, it's pretty crazy that you could just add a sticker onto a club and change the way your club performs. Yeah. Well, this was a thing going back to, um, I want to say it was PXG Gen 2 Metalwood launch stuff when Tony yes. and I were out there, we were talking with... Um, I want to say it was Billy Horschel, Tony. You can confirm this or not, but Billy Horschel was saying that the kind of the crown look on on that particular generation of drivers kind of had two converging lines um, and didn't know it at the time. But after hitting driver a bunch, realized that he was hitting the center of the face far more often, like his T marks on his driver went from, you know, 1.8 millimeters part, whatever, to like almost just overlapping and going like, I wonder why this is not on purpose, not with any explanation, but asked him if, you know, is this possibly because these lines are trying to get you to converge on the center of the club face? And he's like, Hmm, maybe that's the case, right? So this ability to change how somebody perceives lines, shapes, colors, and what that does to impact. We're seeing a little example of it here at the putter test, but really my question is, is there much more, to that and i think tony found some stickers yeah so the way that and again i don't even know if this company's still in business this was literally i mean i've been with my golf spy for like 10 years and this was like a year one or two type of thing but the way this works so they sent you one two three four five six i guess this is seven decals right and these are the temporary ones and there are there are you can be aligned multiple ways they kind of give you like a literal scorecard here right and you're supposed to try them all out and see which ones produce which alignment combination of these stickers. So, you know, you can put them left to right or flip them over, you know, wide wide rectangle or long rectangle type of thing. And then when you figure out which alignment style works best for you, then you, you go to this permanent sheet and put the permanent decal on your driver. And that's the way it was kind of supposed to work. Never really took off because again, any anything that requires golfers to put in real effort uh, tends to tends to fall flat, but um, was SGA legal? USGA, yeah, yeah, because it's just it's just that's why you have the permanent decal. That's always the thing with the with the USGA is it's so that's it. Like you go, you practice with the temporary ones, figure out which one is producing the best results, and then you fix the permanent one. Although right, this that- actually may not. I mean, you'd have to double check and see what the rules are because if you look at the USGA conforming list it is it is very very specific about the yeah I would guess this actually probably isn't legal as I think it through because the USGA list is very specific about marking so for example that tailor-made driver we wrote about early in the week the only difference I was a a stock tailor-made sim driver and they just removed the alignment aid from the crown that was it and that right. that little change right. alone required a, a new entry on the list so yeah probably not USGA legal but it'd is, be super easy to do it to make it legal right I mean it's not at all yeah, and the USGA, I mean, if you look at, they tend to be willing to some extent to work with you. Like, great example, right? Triple Track, when that came out, they had to right. sort of rewrite how you identify markings for, from the, uh, for the USGA ball list. So some right. flexibility. There was a rumor at one point, coincidentally, that Cobra was actually working with these guys on something. I think TaylorMade was too. 
I was going to say, that's where I had the tailor-made thought in my head was like that. But what would stop company from saying, okay, we're going to put triple track on a driver. We're going to put triple track on a, a fairway wood or different lines. Like you figure out how people. Hey, man, I, I created that Versa, the that Versa, Versa driver, driver yeah. for April Fool's Day that year. Right. But who's to say that that, that isn't a next hurdle in in fitting and, and looking at how people. Like I, I went, again, talked to David Adele, looked at putter stuff. I ended up in a situation going, Cal, that's what that's the size shape thing that works best for me. Never would have expected it. Never would have expected it in a million years. What best fit me? But I can't because it's kind of like certain things you do, right? And maybe this is another terrible analogy, but like a roadside sobriety test, right? <laughs> like there's certain things Where you can't going? <laughs> keep yourself from doing biologically, right? Like if I'm trying to move my eyes left or right and they start glitching or whatever, I can't control that response. If I've consumed something, maybe I shouldn't have consumed, right? Dr. Pepper. Uh, Dr. Pepper. Same thing. Like, I can't keep my eyes from wanting to take a certain shape and line it up left. It just does it. I can't control that response. So Here's the real question, though. Can you say the alphabet backwards sober? No. I can't do it regardless. <laughs> I can't do that's it not regardless. Even a fair Side test. note. <laughs> it's not a fair test. But who's to say, right, that that's not the next piece? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's... it's Tony and I was on a call with Callaway um, when they were talking us through the lineup and they saw in their data that with traditional putter, they missed X amount and then they put the, the triple track putter down and it went up dramatically. Then they put the triple track ball lines lined up with the putter and it was like night and day. So they saw the data, we seen the data. How long is it going to take for the consumer to actually believe it? Yeah, and it was kind of looking as you as you said when we first started talking about this, we we went through that data because you know especially when you lay it out in the graph that we we published with the test, like that bar for the the two ball triple track at ten feet was so much longer than everything else. You're sort of like, did we screw something up? But I mean, we've got we've got so many checks built into our sheets to make sure that yeah, every tester is accounted for, every putt is accounted for. Um, and it, it was all there. And what, what really stood out, and we've seen this pattern repeats itself in every putter test with, you know, some are always going to be better than others. Let's, let's preface it with that. But at five feet, golfers make the majority of their putts with every putter. That's, you know, the make percentage is, is higher than the miss on the first putt. And at 20 feet, guys are going to two putt way, way, way more often than they one putt. That is predictable happens time and time again but when you get to that 10 foot distance that's that's where you really see the biggest difference in putters where it literally is almost 50 50 or truly putter dependent what that first putt make percentage is and with that odyssey two ball triple track the make percentage the first ball make percentage on that 10 foot putt was just so much better than than anything else it was it was sort of like like holy shit Almost to the point where I'm like, hey, I'm not a mallet guy. Mallet guy, mallets don't fit me. And I'm not a triple track guy because I think it looks ridiculous. And I'm still like, man, <laughs> like, you know, maybe, maybe I need to get over myself a little bit. That's exactly the question he's asking is can he, can Callaway convince people like you to try the triple track? Well, it's the whole topic we just talked about. Looks don't matter. And Tony's going, right. I know they don't matter. I've seen the data. I've been a part of it. I know how, how false that is in the putter category. And yet you still look at that and you go, and yet oh. you'll wear a square hat. Not in public. 
And that's the thing. Like I, I would practice with a triple track putter in my family room, but I'm not saying I'd play one in public. You're not going to find probably maybe, I don't know, five or 10 people in the world that dig into the data about golf club performance more than Tony Covey. Mm-hmm. Yet you can't find 10 people either that when given the information that Tony is exposed to, that would make the decisions on what he uses for his equipment <laughs> that Tony uses on the round of golf. Well, in fairness, well, you know, our data is when we look at the averages, it's for the, the population pool of, of golfers where I've been fit enough times to know like, yeah, you're, you're way down at the end of that bell curve with the shit that you do with a golf club. <laughs> you know, we typically only see from guys playing croquet. I don't know. <laughs> Tony played a 64 degree wedge for like so long and he'd always I, be like, oh, dude, I hit this shot, you know, the other day yeah. it was so sick. Like, yeah. And then, just, and then you, and then you put an Arcos sensor on it and you start to look at what you're really doing. You're like, yeah, you know what? I think 58 is a good loft. <laughs> I think that's a, <laughs> I, think, I think 58 is actually better for me than 64. Arcos has got to be one of the best inventions ever for golfers. Man. Oh, it's yeah. I mean, you, but again, you're just like 230 off the teeth. This thing is wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. like if it, if it doesn't agree with my worldview, it's it's wrong. It's it's broken. Well, put it, let me put it this way: for golfers that want to get better, Arcos has got to be one of the best inventions ever. Like the other the other couple of things I've got to say is the two ball performed, obviously destroyed the the um the field, and it fit every it performed best with every stroke type. So if you're a slight arc, strong arc, um, straight back, straight through, it still helped. And it was positive strokes gained at every distance too. Yeah, and we obviously when we when we do testing, we make sure we have a, a equal variety of straight back, straight through, strong arcs, slight arcs, yeah. just so we get a variety of tests. And in really uh, simple terms, if you're like, well, does that mean positive strokes gained? Basically, our calculation is is everything is relative to the average putter for a given golfer, and so a simple way to to say it is it was better than average better than the average putter at every distance we test and that's that that too is rare because usually what we see is a, a putter even really good putter will be you know very good at two distances and just have a slight drop off slightly below average at one distance i mean and yeah only people a- might go people oftentimes go well how can that be right like how does this putter do well at 10 and 20 feet and they want to try to drill holes in our data every variable <laughs> of a putter matters Every one of them. Weight, loft, loft, toe hang, alignment, grip, even probably the shaft. And at five feet, that visual acuity might look different to you or feel different to you than at 10 or 20. And the loft and the everything impacts everything. We got got so many comments saying, oh, the loft of the two ball was 1.3 degrees, but it's stated as three degrees on on their website. And I'm like... Welcome to the manufacturing tolerances, people. Yeah, the to- it's either tolerances or they stamp like a, a vanity loft. They stamp it. But Harry, that's that's a reader going, I got to find something. You know what I mean? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I don't think re- I don't think people understand that they state lofts and lies on their on their website because that's what they want to put out and project. But no, that's what they and strive to hit. But there are things yes. called yes. manufacturing times. I don't, I don't know how much vanity lofting is going on in the putter space. I hope not much. But <laughs> hey, hey, Tony, Tony, what loft you play in your putter? <laughs> one degree. I got me a six point five X X one honey. And I mean that's a whole other. I mean that is kind of a whole different conversation. But historically, putter lofts have been, you know, around four degrees have been the kind of the target number. But not anymore. 
you go through a nope. ping fitting when I did a, a putter fitting with PXG. Like I'm, I'm a guy who's one to two degrees every time. Like that's because how I deliver the putter is different. Actually, that's a cool point. So a, a new putter that was in our field this year or our test mm-hmm. was the sick putter. And they've got a technology in the face that, you know, that plays well to that. Right, Harry? Yeah. So you don't, the sick putter is designed. So if you forward press at impact, if you release the putter at impact, you're going to roll the putter and roll it exactly the same degree every single time. Because at the top, it has four degrees, then slightly down, it has three degrees. In the middle, it has two, and at the bottom, it has one. So no matter where you hit it on the face, if it's high or low, it's going to roll on the same um, degree every single time. So it's consistent roll. You're eliminating a variable. Yeah, and for everybody out there that doesn't know what we're talking about, this is the the putter brand that Bryson DeChambeau plays with. And it's got, you know, basically a graduated loft on the face. How far can he hit it? I think it finished. <laughs> I think it finished second in our test. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Think of it like think of it. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's an exaggeration. Um, this is kind of a weird analogy, but you have. I can't wait to hear this. You you have Taylor. You have Taylor made twist face, right? So you have that twist face. So if you hit off the heel, it might come back. But with this putter, if you do, it's kind of like a little bit curved, just the slight bit, and it's the grooves itself is is designed to it's it's so it's like bulge and roll for a putter kind of yeah well it's it is it's like roll on a driver right if you look at yeah if you look at any any driver for the most part right there is a curvature and and the loft high on the face is going to be different than the loft in the middle different than the the uh, loft at the bottom where it it tends to be lower the idea is like you want it's not bulge and roll it's just roll right yeah 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 there's no I, i doubt they're doing much on the heel to toe stuff but it is the idea of like let's let's essentially correct as much as we can for the loft the the launch angle based on where you hit on the face so that you can achieve optimum launch in a driver it's basically hey we're we're trying to account for a high miss or a low miss whereas a putter it's like we're trying to get that roll right every time so do you of- think we should build like a box like a hallway that <laughs> we could sell with the sick putter like that Bryson created that little mini hallway that he put I mean, it in. It's just you know messing, I swear. It's just messing with people at this point. <laughs> like, you know, like those, the next step for Bryson, you know, at the PGA show, when you walk the, uh, the new product showcase that has the same products every year and you're like that. Desperation that, that, Alley? No, no, the new product showcase. <laughs> oh, gotcha. That's down by the Racket Sports one now, I think. Like, and it's, again, right. products that have been new for every year that I've been going to the PGA show, but you know, like there's always that, that one training aid that looks like a double ended dong. Like that's, that's, <laughs> no, Bryson I actually is, don't know what oh, you're talking on. about. I think it's like, I, I don't remember seeing that. Uh, everybody's in denial. So, come on. It must've been me and Tony. Why? Cause I totally remember exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so was there's it like chicken stick. No, that was, <laughs> no, but it is. It's like, you're like, I think, I think, I think AVN is in Vegas, man. This is the wrong show for this stuff. But like Bryson will be out there with that. Like that's going to be the, the yes. pinnacle of like him pulling one over on, on everybody who's following him and, and trying to, to pigeonhole him as a weirdo. Yeah. No, we've digressed for almost two hours now. We've kept our listeners for a long time. Is there anything else that we want to cover today? Well, that's my last, my last great ideas. All right. So we'll take the, the, the sick putter, right? So that moderates for lofted impact, right? We've seen corrective technology, parabolic grooves with even roll, right? For things off center, left and right. Can we combine those into 
one putter groove design that moderates for loft and directional curvature spin axis tilt or whatever. So you want like a really sick even roll. I want a really, <laughs> I yeah, right. uh, I see what you did. He's out. Very audacious. Uh, th that was very audacious.